that our service will benefit you and bless you as we worship God together. We're looking today at Ephesians chapter 5, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 12 in our study together. I do want to make mention very quickly, I know that this is a holiday week, and we want to wish you a very happy Thanksgiving. And if you're going to be traveling, please exercise care and caution and return home safely. And so I know that there'll be a lot of folks that are on the road, and so we want to keep you in our prayers. We're looking today at the fifth chapter of the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians breaks down into two sections. In chapters 1 through 3, emphasis is on our relationship to Christ. And Paul points out that we have been redeemed by the blood of Christ in chapter 1, verse 7. In chapter 2, verse 16, Paul would say that we have been reconciled in the body of Christ. That would be the church. And so then when you come to chapter 4, and chapters 4, 5, and 6 accentuate our responsibilities in Christ. And so it's one thing to talk about our relationship to Christ, another to talk about our responsibilities in Christ. And to understand that the two go hand in hand. You can't separate them. Because in light of the relationship that we enjoy with the Lord, there is a certain way that we're to carry ourselves in the world. So today I want to talk about walking as children of light. And the idea is that we're walking in cadence with the Lord. You remember, for example, in 1 John chapter 1, John would say, if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ, cleanses us from all sin. During the earthly life of Jesus, one of the great I Am statements recorded by John in chapter 8 at verse 12, where Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He that followeth after me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. When Paul wrote to the church at Colossae, one of the things that he emphasized to those people who belonged to God's family in the first century was that they had been delivered out of the power of darkness. That would be the domain that is controlled or governed by the devil and translated into the kingdom of God's dear Son. And he said, it's in that spiritual sphere that we enjoy redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. So now we come to Ephesians chapter 5. And Paul begins by discussing the importance of dedicating ourselves to imitating the Lord. Our goal ought to be that we're godlike in character. Some translations say, be followers or imitators of me. Well, the idea is that God is the gold standard, isn't He? And we want to make sure that our life is on par with His will. Paul would write in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Be followers of me or be imitators of me, even as I also am of Christ. So what does it mean to be an imitator of the Lord? 
to understand that chapter 5 is connected to the previous chapter. That there is a correlation there. And so Paul said, listen to him, picking up in verse 1, Therefore, and that's the connection, be followers of God as dear children. Why? Because we are a part of the family of God. Paul is going to set before us the example of the Lord. And what he's going to say is that the Lord Jesus Christ demonstrated a life of love. We talk about His unconditional love and His undisputed love, undeniable love. Listen to what he said. And walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given Himself for us. The unconditional love of Jehovah God. The Bible speaks to God's amazing love for us as members of the human family. In John chapter 3, verse 16, what is often called the golden text of the Bible, Jesus said, For God so loved the world, that's inclusive of everyone. The very nature of God is that of love, isn't it? So what about His unconditional love for us? Well, God doesn't owe us anything, doesn't owe us His love. He doesn't owe us His grace and mercy and kindness. And yet, because we are the crown of His creation, God sent His Son, His beloved Son, into the world to redeem us from all unrighteousness, as Paul would say in Titus chapter 2. So with regard to the unconditional, undeniable love of Almighty God, you remember, for example, in John chapter 15, Jesus said, Greater love has no man than this, than to lay down his life for his friends. Jesus willingly, sacrificially, laid down his life for us. God the Father was willing to offer the Son as the Savior of the world. Jesus was willing to die in our stead, as we say. Peter would write in 1 Peter chapter 2 that He bore our sins in His body on the cross. When Jesus was nailed to the cross, He was nailed to a cross for the sins of the human family. Matter of fact, John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. Jesus was God's answer to man's problem called sin. So we think about this great example. But then there is this exhortation to love. You think about the pattern that's set before us and then the plea on behalf of God through the Apostle Paul. The Bible says that we are to walk, we are to walk, that our life is to be characterized by that of love. He uses Jesus as the great example. So what about this demand to love? In 1 John chapter 4, John said, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He that loves not knows not God. Why? Because God is love. He would go on to say, In this the love of God was manifested toward us, that God sent His only begotten Son into the world, that through Him we might live. So here you have God, 
showing His love for us by sending Jesus to die on our behalf. So there is this divine demand to love as God loves. So what about the depth of love that we're to have for one another? Well, Paul deals with that. We're to love as Christ loved. I mentioned a moment ago the unconditional love of Almighty God. So the standard, this gold standard of love, and the depth of love that we're to show others around us. Go back and look at Ephesians chapter 4 for a minute. In verse 32, here's what Paul said, Be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. That's unconditional love, isn't it? And what the Apostle Paul is saying is, that's the kind of love that we're to have for one another. Jesus would say it like this, A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another. Okay, what about the newness of this command? I thought God had always stressed loving one another. He had. But Jesus said the newness of the command is demonstrated in the depth of love that we're to show for one another. Well, how so? As I have loved you. The Lord Jesus is saying, I want you to love as I have loved. Well, what kind of love are we talking about? Unconditional love. The kind of love that is willing to forgive, that is tenderhearted and kind and gracious and merciful and compassionate. And so... Jesus said, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples. How so, Lord? If you have love one for another. John is saying, That is the Christian badge of discipleship. All of us who have obeyed the gospel, we are said to be disciples or learners of Christ. We are God's children. Matter of fact, John, or rather Paul says, that we are to imitate God as dear children. Look, if you're a part of the church, you belong to the family of God. Paul would say in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, that we are a part of the household of God, the pillar and ground of the truth. In 1 John chapter 3, John said, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us. Why? That we should be called the children of God, the sons of God. It's in light of that that Paul now emphasizes a danger. There is always the danger of an inconsistent lifestyle. Sometimes, sadly, as members of the body of Christ, we forget who we are. When you see people who are a part of the church go back into the world or begin demonstrating activities that are found in the world, it says, number one, they have forgotten who they are. Well, who are we? You remember Peter said you're an elect race, a royal priesthood? Listen to him, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. In other words, we belong to God. Why? We've been bought with a price. And because we belong to God, we are to live in such a way so that we honor and glorify His name. That's what Christianity is all about. We're trying to the best of our ability to live in such a way so that our life 
glorifies the Father. And we can't glorify God if we're living in the world. So what Paul does, he stresses our relationship to Christ, our responsibilities in Christ, and to understand who we are. If you are a member of the church of Christ, you are a member of the church that belongs to Jesus. The one that He built, the one that He bought, and that is a very special thing. Because the church cost Jesus His precious blood. But then also, to remember not just who we are, but whose we are. To remember again that, look, we belong to God. My life is to be lived in subjugation to His will and to His ways. That everything that I do and say in this life is to reflect my relationship to Almighty God. So you pick up, for example, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, when Paul said, No, you're not. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, which is in you, which you have from God. He said, You are not your own. You were bought with a price, all right? In light of the fact that you were bought with a price, Paul said, Glorify God in your body and spirit. Why? Because it's God's. It belongs to Him. So since we belong to God, we can't afford to get caught up in what I would call today a web of wickedness. Again, sometimes people who are a member of the body of Christ, they get too close to the world, and before you know it, they're back in the world. And Paul now describes this web of wickedness that can become a part of a child of God's life. So listen to what he has to say. But fornication and uncleanness and covetousness, let it not even be named among you. Why, Paul? Why is it that I don't live like the world? That I'm not sexually promiscuous? That I'm not out living in the so-called gutter? And that I'm not living a morally impure life? What is it about my life that's so different? Well, here it is. We're not to live in fornication, uncleanness, or covetousness. Why? Because it doesn't befit a saint. Note again, but fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness. Let it not even be named among you as is fitting. That's not who you are. That's not what you're about. No, your lifestyle is to be radically different. Why? Because you belong to the King. You are, as Paul would say in Romans chapter 8, an heir of God and a joint heir with Christ. You have every spiritual blessing known to man, according to Ephesians 1.3. You're a part of the body of Christ. And so your life is not about the world. And Paul here characterizes the world as a web of wickedness. How many of you have seen a spider web? 
And sometimes you'll see various types of bugs that will make their way into that spider web. What happens? They get caught, don't they? That's what sin does in life. The Bible talks about how those who fall prey to the devil, they become enslaved to a way of life. In other words, they become imprisoned. Paul would say, for example, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, they are taken captive by the devil to do his will. Sometimes it's about a lifestyle. What we do that's not becoming of a saint. Sometimes it's our speech that gets us in trouble. So note, if you would, the continuation. Paul said, neither filthiness. And this would have to do with gentle obscenities, disgraceful talk, foolish talking. Some would say that this would represent the gutter mouth. There are a lot of people in our world, and sadly even some in the church, who use colorful language. Language that is not becoming of a child of God. And go back and look at chapter 4 again. In chapter 4, Paul is contrasting the old man that was characterized by sin and the new man that's characterized by saintly living. In other words, we put off that old man According to that corrupt conduct, we have put on the new man. Our minds have been renewed. Our minds have been changed. We've changed the way we think. We changed the way we act. We changed the way we talk. And so he talks about putting away lying and each one speak truth with his neighbor. Down in verse 29, he would say, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Some folks who come to Christ, they've had trouble with lying, dishonesty. Some have gotten caught up in gossip and backbiting, slander. And Paul's saying, look, as a child of God, all of that has to be put away. Because we belong to God. We're not to live like that. And then note if you would, Paul now talks about coarse jesting. There's some people that have well, some would say it's a gift, but it's not a gift from God. But they have the ability to turn a phrase. And typically they can take something that's good and turn it into something that's obscene or filthy. Again, maybe some type of sexual innuendo or whatever. They're always using their tongue in a denigrative way. So with that in mind, we talk about this web of wickedness. The devil is clever, isn't he? And didn't Peter say, be sober, be watchful, your adversary the devil walks about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour? Paul would write in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 that we're not ignorant of the devices of the devil. Why? Lest he gain advantage over us. So you've got to understand how the enemy operates. You've got to know what the devil's all about. And what the devil wants to do with children of God is to bring them back into the world. They've escaped the world and the defilements of the world. They're a part of the body of Christ, and here's the devil, and he's trying to reel them back in. He's trying to reel us back in. He's trying to imprison us once again. 
So there is this web of wickedness and then what I would call the trashing of truth. We live in a day and time when there has been a devaluing of divine truth. There are some who would devalue the absolutes of truth. I get it. There are some people in the world today, they'll say, you know what, you really can't know truth. You just can't understand divine truth. Well, that's odd because Jesus said you should know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Paul said he received revelation from God. He took that revelation, wrote it down in a few words. He said, whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. So Paul said we can understand. We can read it, understand it. But there has been an assault on the absolutes of truth. And so with that in mind, Paul goes on to say, Let no one deceive you with vain or empty words. For because of these things sake comes the wrath of God upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not be partakers with them. The world says it's okay to live in sin. The world says there's nothing wrong with living together without the benefits of marriage. The world says adultery is not a bad thing. The world says it doesn't matter about your speech. I mean, what's wrong with, what's wrong with cussing? What's wrong with telling dirty jokes? Well, Paul said, look, that's not who you are. And it doesn't befit whose you are. You are a child of God. And because you're a child of God, Paul would say you're to walk as a child of light. Matter of fact, he said, Therefore do not be partakers with them. For you were once darkness. But now, Paul said, you're a light in the Lord, and because you're a child of light, you're to walk that way. That's your course. That's how you conduct yourself every day. And there are those that are minimizing the absolutes of truth. Furthermore, there are those who would minimize, devalue accountability to truth. What people want to do is somehow separate the Word of Christ from the Word who is called Christ. There are a lot of folks in the world, some even in the church. They have this idea that you can be a child of God, you can claim to be a member of the body of Christ, but you don't necessarily have to live up to the ideals of Scripture. And Paul is saying, listen, that is not the case. Don't let anybody deceive you with vain words, empty words, idle words. Why? Because this kind of lifestyle ultimately ends with the wrath of God. That's sobering. Now what about our accountability to truth? Didn't Paul say in Romans chapter 2 at verse 2, we know that the judgment of God is according to the truth. You mean to tell me that there's a divine standard? That standard is intended to impose conditions upon how I live here on planet earth. That's exactly right. I can't divorce myself from the words of Christ. Why? Because I'm going to be judged by that very word. Jesus said, He that rejects me and receives not my word has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken, listen to me, the same shall judge him in the last day. And you remember in Revelation chapter 20 when the Apostle John pictures that great day of judgment. 
And John said, I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. Here we are. We're all before the throne of God. And Jesus is sitting upon that throne, and our names are being called. And John said, I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and the books were opened. This book right here is special. This is the book of all books. This is the only thing that we possess a copy of that we will meet in the judgment. This is the only thing that will transcend time. Everything that you possess in this life, you are but a steward of. Now, you're a steward of how you live. And Paul said that based upon that stewardship, we're to be faithful to God. But on that final day, John said the books, that is the Bible, will be opened. And God's going to judge how we live on the basis of conformity to truth. So there has been this assault, as I said a minute ago, on the absolutes of truth. There's no such thing as a divine standard. That's what the world says. And some within the church have bought into that way of thinking. And Paul's saying, look, you are a child of light. You can't live like you did when you were in sin. You remember what Paul said in Romans chapter 6? What shall we say? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? In other words, there were some who thought, you know, since God's grace covers all sins. Because in chapter 5, Paul had said, where sin abounds, grace did abound much more. So if God's grace will cover my sins, then I'm at, at license to just live as I please. So he asked the question, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And here's his answer, God forbid. Certainly not. Why? He said, how shall we that died to sin live any longer therein? When you became a child of God, what you said to the world was, I am done with this lifestyle. I'm not living like that anymore. And to understand that as we live the Christian life, there are constant tugs and pulls from the devil. And the devil wants to pull us into this web of wickedness. And there has been the constant trashing of truth by our world today. And the world today minimizes God's standard. The world today says, well, you're not under any kind of law. You just do as you please. Well, Paul said that we're under the law of Christ in Galatians 6, 2. And James said, so speak and so do, listen to him, as those that will be judged by the law of liberty. And so the idea that you're just at liberty to live as you please, Paul said, oh no, that's not the case. You were once darkness, but now, he said, you're light in the Lord, and because you are light in the Lord, you are to walk as a child of light. That fits perfectly with what John said in 1 John 1, verse 7. If we walk in the light, that is, if we walk in harmony with the will of Almighty God, if I'm trying to live in accordance with the precepts of God's Word, then I enjoy fellowship with God the Father and Jesus Christ the Son. And I maintain fellowship with people of like precious faith. Now there's a third thought that Paul shares here. It has to do with our duty as Christians. The duty of being an incorruptible light. So look again at what he says in verse 8. 
Let's just think for a moment or two about the walk of children of light. Paul said, you were once darkness. Now, I want you to think for a minute. Paul is writing to people that at one time had been dead in trespasses and sins, according to chapter 2 at verse 1. To those who had lived outside a covenant relationship with God, Paul said they're without hope and without God in this world. In verse 13 of chapter 2, he said, But now in Christ Jesus, there's the difference. But now in Christ Jesus, you that once were far off are brought near by what means? By the blood of Christ. The blood is what makes a difference in our lives. When we die to the love and the practice of sin and are buried with Christ in baptism, we contact the cleansing power of the blood of Jesus. The blood's what washes away our sins, according to Revelation chapter 1, verse 5. So we rise to walk in newness of life. So number one, to understand that God wants faithfulness from us. And number two, He desires fruitfulness from us as His children. Listen again to what He says in verse 8. You were once darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, proving what is acceptable to the Lord. When we claim to be a child of God, and we go around talking to people about who we are and whose we are. The real test, the acid test that determines whether or not we are who we claim to be is by whether or not we follow this book. John said, hereby we do know that we know Him. How so? If we keep His commandments. So what God wants from us is faithfulness. And He wants us to live a righteous life a life of goodness, a life of mercy and compassion and kindness. Again, going back to verse 32, because we're not like the world, because we have been delivered out of the power of darkness and translated into the kingdom of God's dear Son, we have mercy and compassion and forgiveness toward others. That's why Paul said, be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Now listen to this even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. To remember, look, God forgave you. And you remember how you used to live, and you remember how deep you were in a life of sin? And the graciousness of God became a part of your life. And when you obeyed the gospel, God said, that's my child. That person has been forgiven. That person has been redeemed. That person has been reconciled. And so it's not about what I used to be. It's about what I have become. Listen, the whole tenor of Christianity is about what we can be in Christ. Remember the Apostle Paul talked about being conformed to the image of Christ? And here's Paul saying, be an imitator, be a follower of God. You try to be like God, God-like in our behavior, Christ-like in how we conduct ourselves day in and day out. If we claim to be a Christian, 
And if we have obeyed the gospel of Christ, it ought to be evident. Why? Because that's just who we are. That's how we live. Are our lives radically different from the world? One of the things that has been lost on the church in recent years is our distinctiveness. We are to be a distinctive body of people. And you remember, as I noted a moment ago, Peter said, we've been called out of darkness into His marvelous light. And so because we have been called out of darkness into the light of Christ, we now belong to God. We're His own special possession. That's who we are. There is a second thought here. Number one, we talk about the walk of a child of light. But then, the work of a child of light. Pick up with me again in Ephesians chapter 5. Paul said, And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. It's shamefully, shamefully even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. And Back up again and look at verse 8. You were once darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Paul here is saying, look, you have an obligation. And that is, you are to shine as a light in a darkened world of sin. In the book of Philippians in chapter 2, Paul would say, do all things without murmuring and complaining, that you might be the sons of God, in the midst of a, listen to how he characterizes the ancient world, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Does that not sound like the world we live in today? Wouldn't you say that the world that we live in today is crooked and perverse in many ways? But Paul said, among whom you shine as lights in the world. What is it that is to light up a darkened world of sin? the Christian life. Didn't Jesus say, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven? When Jesus was on earth, He declared, I'm the light of the world. The Lord's gone. He's back in heaven. And what He's saying is, as my child, I want you to be the light. Jesus said in John chapter 3, light has come into the world. But sadly, men love darkness rather than light. That's the world we live in today. There are a lot of folks, they're happy with sin. They love sin. They want to live in sin. And Paul said to those who know better, who came out of the world, who are now God's people, you're to be a light. You are to shine as a light, and not just shine as a light, but you are to shout out the light. Paul said, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. The voice for God today, His people. Paul said, we as members of the church, we are the pillar and ground of the truth. Is it not the case that we are the ones who have to stand up and say, okay, here's the standard. Here's what God says. 
God's Word is unequivocal on the matter. Whatever the issue, ultimately, God has spoken. And once God has spoken on the matter, it's not up for debate. There are some who are living sinful, shameful lives. And I get it, as Jeremiah said in the long ago, there are some who have reached a point in time in life when they can no longer blush. But Jeremiah had the remedy. He said, stand in the way and see and ask for the old paths wherein is the good way and walk therein. God needs people today who will stand up for His Word. And not just stand up, but speak up. Look at some of the things that are being peddled in our world today. I mean, we live in a nation today. You've got people who are on a daily basis saying, you know, there's nothing wrong with abortion. There's nothing wrong with homosexuality. I mean, it's just love. Look, I didn't write the standard. God's the one that has imposed His will on the human family. And since God is the Creator, it would only stand to reason that He has the right to set the parameters of how we're to live. I don't know anybody who has the ability, the power, to start another world, do you? And so since we are a part of God's creation, then what God says is, I want you to live for me. So we can be a shining light for good, and we need to shout out the good news of the gospel of Christ. Go back and look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Paul talked about the great example of the Thessalonians. He said that the way they had lived had sounded out in Macedonia and Achaia. He said, so that we do not need to say anything. For they declare concerning us what entry we had to you, and how that you turned from idols to serve the living and true God. Here were people that came out of pagan idolatry. And now they're serving the living and true God. That's what the Bible's all about. Setting forth the one true living God and trying to live up to the ideals of God's Word. And so with that in mind, will we, number one, stand up? Number two, will we speak up? In Acts chapter 4, we read about Peter and John. They had been interrogated because they had healed a man at the gate of the temple in Jerusalem. And they wanted to know, that is the Sanhedrin council, they wanted to know by what name, what power have you done this great miracle? Well, they acknowledged the fact that it had been done in the name of Christ. They couldn't take issue with the fact that a miracle had been done. And the text says that they realized that these men were uneducated, untrained. They hadn't been to any rabbinical school. They had not been privileged, as the Apostle Paul was, to sit at the feet of Gamaliel or Nicodemus. So they said, listen, you're not to speak anymore in the name of Jesus Christ. You remember what they said? We can't but speak the things we've seen and heard. That's conviction. And that's courage. And that's what we need today. Why? Because we're children of light. We're to walk as children of light. It's said of Paul and Silas and the early disciples in Acts chapter 17. These men that have turned the world upside down.
have come here too. We need to turn the world upside down. The world needs to be changed for better. How do we do that? One soul at a time. And as individual lights for God, we can make a difference in the world in which we live. In closing today, are you a child of light? Are you a Christian? Have you obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ? If you haven't obeyed the gospel today, it's a special day. Number one, you're alive. And number two, you're here. And number three, you have the opportunity to obey the gospel right now. I know you believe Jesus is the Son of God. You wouldn't be here. Whether or not you've obeyed Him or not, I know you believe in Him. So would you act upon that faith? Demonstrate an obedient heart. Repent of your sins. As Paul said, God commands all men everywhere to repent. And then confess with your mouth what you believe in your heart. Jesus, Son of God. Be immersed in water so that the cleansing blood of Christ can wash away your sins. And God will put you in the church. And if you're faithful till death, the promise is the crown of life. If you're here today and you're not what you ought to be, maybe you're a child of light, but you've been back living in the world again, and you're living in darkness, to understand that God's interested in you. God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Could we pray with you and for you today as we stand and sing?